0: Welcome everyone to the seventh episode of VentureCast Rebuild. I'm your host, Vikas Raj of Axion Venture Lab. If you're a new listener joining us this week, Axion Venture Lab is a global early stage investor focused on technology and financial inclusion. In this 10-episode season of VentureCast, we are exploring the rapidly shifting financial inclusion landscape and how investors entrepreneurs and their enablers are responding to the challenges brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic. So far, we have spoken to investors and entrepreneurs from India to the UAE to here in DC, learning about how this crisis is impacting customers and how fintechs are stepping in to help. So with that, uh, I'd like to introduce this week's guest, Michael Moreland. Uh, Michael is CEO and co-founder of Field Intelligence, which is a pharmaceutical supply chain company that is increasing efficiency and driving down the price of essential drugs across Africa. Field Intelligence is also one of Venture Lab's recent investments. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you start by telling us a bit about how Field works uh, and who your customers are?
1: Thanks so much, Vikas. Uh, Pleasure to be here. Field is a health supply chain technology company, and our clients are health systems. And that is both the largest health systems uh, in Africa, including uh, the Federal Ministry of Health in Nigeria, serving some 30,000 public health facilities across the country, uh, but also the smallest health systems, uh, all the way down to individual providers at the community level, which are primarily. community-based retail pharmacy outlets, and uh, we are a technology company who is focused on ensuring that their supply chain serving these health systems have access to the very best technology and support they can to ensure that the drugs are available when and where they need to be. We're currently serving uh, Nigeria, and also uh, we're active in Kenya now.
0: Got it. So I just want to dig into that a little bit more before we get into the impact of COVID. So what specifically are you providing pharmacies in uh, Nigeria and Kenya?
1: Yeah. So our pharmacy clients are typically, uh, they are SMEs, the classic definition. They are trained pharmacists or pharmacist technicians who have struck out on their own to open a business. They have normally one retail outlet, sometimes up to three or four uh, all under the same same ownership. They're often family-run businesses. And uh, yeah, they are the the front line of the health system in their communities where they serve some up to 2,000, 3,000 different health pharmaceutical products directly to their community, provide a whole lot of consultation. And in, a, in these markets where there's such a tremendous shortage of doctors and formal healthcare uh, services, these local community pharmacies provide an enormous amount of Basic primary essential and essential care to their communities. And so they have all of the the typical challenges of an SME running a small retail business in these markets, dealing with highly fragmented operations so they can't purchase at scale. They're really on their own that way. They struggle with weak data management tools that are not properly set up for them to use and uh, sort of being busy and short staffed all the time. And also, of course, access to finance and the appropriate and affordable finance most of which is actually done through their suppliers and trade finance. And so they have all of these SME challenges, but then on top of it, they have the complexity of the managing a pharmaceutical supply chain, which right. comes with a whole host of additional challenges. And the, the result is uh, yeah, a really critical part of health systems in some of the fastest growing parts of the world that, that really depend on retail SMEs, in for these pharmacies. And so what we do is we... To help them solve what we feel is uh, really the deepest problem that they have which is their inventory it's a little bit non-obvious to say that inventory is the biggest problem but in such a retailer inventory is some 80 percent of the, the assets in the business if not more all of their cash in the business sits on the shelf and uh, the challenge with this before our shelf life service is it's really hard to get that right not only the physical procurement and quality control but just getting the number right, uh, surprisingly, knowing how much stock to put on the shelf uh, when you go to your supplier—it's a really hard problem, and it's a problem that uh, you see large retailers around the world spending millions and millions of dollars to try to optimize and get that number just right. If you if you if you put if you guess too much, uh, your cash it sits idle, it's unproductive, and you really risk expiry on these very expensive and perishable pharmaceutical goods. And if you guess too little, uh, you stock out you underperform, you miss treatment opportunities and patients think they can't trust uh, that you'll have what you you need. And so uh, what we do is we help pharmacies solve this core deep sort of inventory uh, management problem through a subscription service we call Shelf Life. And so what pharmacies do is they subscribe to the products that they want us to manage for them. And we take it over from there. We do all of the planning, uh, all of the data analysis, all of sort of the deep, complex data science work to make sure the right number is there. We do the fulfillment, so the actual quality assurance and picking and packing and delivery to their shop where they sell it on consignment. They pay as they sell, bundling in a financial solution into the service. Uh, this pay-as-you-sell model has been really critical for helping pharmacies scale up their inventories uh, with without regard to um, things like traditional credit scores or uh, access to the traditional financing that a, that a bank might provide.
0: So Field, even in the absence of COVID, sort of steps in to, to sort of help pharmacies deal
1: with this core inventory issue.
0: How has that kind of fundamental challenge changed as a result of the pandemic?
1: Yeah, well, we've certainly been right at the center of the response in that way. And so I'd like to break up an answer to this question in both the immediate effects that we saw, which I think are really important and, and pronounced and unique, and also sort of the longer term or the more sort of the midterm effects that we're seeing now, because they're quite different. Yep. Um, the immediate effect of course, is that our pharmacies are essential in every market we're in. There's no community that, that thinks that their local pharmacies should be closed. And so our clients and their staff, have needed to remain open and business continuity has been an enormous priority for us and so we we went in immediately to ensure that we did everything we could to help them keep that business open and working safely and so what this meant for us was we did a lot of the physical things not just digital but we distributed hundreds of hand washing stations to all of our pharmacies we distributed educational posters and we not and we also took our fulfillment partners our agents who go around. To each pharmacy, gave them a crash course in infection prevention and, and management. We gave them, uh, of course, all of the PPE and the training they needed to continue the to supply these drugs to their, to their shops. And in that first month or so, we saw our businesses able to remain open. And we saw an incredible set of panic buying as everybody rushed to stock mm. up their homes before the lockdowns. And and so we saw a period of unprecedented demand for some products and really a, a, a strange time to be in the pharmacy business. But, but that was the immediate response. And I think we did a good job at, at responding and being able to, to think more broadly about what the shelf life service could mean for the business. And that was very physical, it was very real world, get the supplies and keep those businesses operating. Now, what's happened to the longer term response um, is a bit different. We've seen prices. Landed prices of pharmaceuticals on the continent in both East and West Africa increase at a rate that is really unprecedented since we've mm. been measuring uh, the last three or four years. Um, some of the most essential products that we sell have jumped some four standard deviations in the last quarter. Uh, the wow. average increase has been between 5 and 11%. And for drugs that patients, say, with chronic conditions count on, uh, that kind of volatility, that kind of sudden shock is never a good thing. But it's come at a time when household income has collapsed. Uh, Many homes do not have savings uh, sufficient to have weathered the lockdown. And we've seen uh, recession begin to creep into both of the economies we work in. So household income has declined at the same point when prices have dramatically increased. And also as a sort of the third piece of this trifecta is that uh, suppliers have sort of across the board rescinded their trading terms with small pharmacies. And so They have decided it's cash only, cash up front, no more 30 days. And that's the primary source of finance for most of these businesses. And so what this has done is it's really changed the financial landscape and it's changed the demand patterns we see across the pharmaceutical industries. More more patients are needing to switch to the very cheapest option they have to find some suitable over-the-counter option or substitute to the otherwise expensive prescription that they've been given. So the last piece of this sort of big systemic change has been that we see health-seeking behavior change broadly as more and more patients avoid the clinical setting, hospitals or their their local doctor's office, and instead go to that pharmacy, you know, on the corner by their house for an increasing amount of their healthcare needs. And so what's happened through all of this is that the shelf life pharmacy has been really well-suited to weather that storm by outsourcing their supply chain to us uh, and by essentially freeing up all that working capital that they're not sinking into inventory They have been, and then also not being uh, subject to uh, the kinds of unavailability or price spikes by buying through us. We've been able to maintain our trading terms. We've been able to invest in the kinds of buffer stock necessary to to get us through this period of great uncertainty. And so the Shelf Life Pharmacy has been able to flex down with demand, has been able to, uh, through our recommendations and our own stocking patterns, been able to always have the best option for the client that comes in at the right time. Uh, for them. And uh, yeah, they've been able to continue to pay as they sell. And so our pharmacies have done sort of an interesting V shape through this period. They began with this panic buying, uh, and then there was this mellowing out of the market as everyone was sort of locked down. And now we've seen the ph- shelf life pharmacy come back far stronger than before. And it's just been in the last few weeks or so, uh, as lockdowns in Nigeria and Kenya start to roll back and demand starts to come back, that the pharmacies are. Growing much faster than they were before the lockdown, and uh, yeah, sales are beginning to to pick
0: up again. So, so th- that is uh, really really interesting, and I like how you sort of talked about the the, the short term and the and the sort of medium term effects. Can you, from Field's perspective, explain how you've evolved? Um, uh, you know, and, and maybe we use that same structure. So, in the short term, when there was panic buying, what role was Field playing? Uh, and, and what? how did you sort of have to, as the CEO of this company, evolve your operations? And now looking at medium term and longer term, what does this mean for Field as a business?
1: Well, yeah. You know, the good thing is that Shelf Life as a service was kind of meant for this moment uh, in many ways. We actually began Shelf Life in 2016 in Abuja, Nigeria, at the point where the, the Naira was at, uh, was collapsing effectively. It was an incredible recession. And the, the moment we, we realized the need for this was when you would go to the pharmacy in Abuja and there was nothing on the shelf. And the reason was because the currency had, had, had fallen down and the price of importing something was far greater than anyone could, could manage. And so uh, in many ways, shelf life was the right solution for a moment like this. Mm. Uh, but during the panic buying time, what we have the ability to do, because we've digitized and built all this operational maturity around the supply chain serving these small pharmacies is we were able to make sort of data driven fine tunings of the supply chain. So we knew working with our in-house pharmacists, we knew which products were likely to be the most affected and we could adjust the service level for instance. We could provide, you know, a longer period of stock for some products that we thought might be coming out of the market later and we didn't have to do it in a way that was contributing to panic buying uh, and making it worse. But we had the tools and the data to make smart, responsible decisions that I think were uh, really pay off in the long run. So during that period, we ensured that our pharmacists didn't have to increase their price to, to go along, that it was the same good service they could get, and that they had enough stock to meet the needs. Some other things that we did uh, in, in that very first moment is we, you know, we began to think okay, how does the roadmap need to change? What do we need to do differently? And one of the first things we did is we partnered with uh, Few different SME lenders who were looking for which SMEs are still open and productive through this period. How can we work with them? And Our pharmacies were good candidates. How could we get them additional working capital, additional finance to help them further weather uh, the storm that might come? And so, what can Shelf Life do to improve our pharmacies' access to traditional finance? And so, that was one of the one of the very first new initiatives that we began. On top of that, but broadly though, I think that looking back at the at that period we didn't have to do a whole lot differently Um, that was kind of the the good thing we had to continue to serve our clients and we had to continue to digitize and mature the services that were serving them but yeah we, we haven't had to rethink or really upend our own roadmap
0: yeah what 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 about medium and longer term i mean it, it, particularly in a world where it, it's sort of harder to be in person with these companies e- even if they are essential services you know are, are you thinking about how to evolve product or engagement strategies in the sort of new normal
1: yeah yeah absolutely we've uh, we did prioritize our uh, cx team our customer experience team we moved that way up the up the list to invest in client care basically yeah. as we knew that we needed to be far more communicative. Uh, we launched a, a newsletter, which is kind of an obvious thing most companies have, but we chalked it full of expert kind of uh, content from around the world. We, our pharmacists surveyed the best thinking and advice from some of the most reputable medical and pharmaceutical sources around the world to provide this really high quality, very valuable newsletter to our clients that I think was very empowering and it's one of those small things that can go and mention, but we really, we really needed to invest in communication, and be that source to provide our pharmacies with the tools they needed. And that was a big part of it. We've also expanded the point of care diagnostic options that we serve. So before we were not in diagnostics uh, at all. And as patients move away from the clinical setting and ask more of their pharmacist, pharmacies need the ability to provide small things like blood sugar, glucose, simple tests for, for patients that don't want to go all the way to the hospital or for their checkup. And so our, our pharmacies now offer a wide array of uh, diagnostic services that they hadn't before as a way to kind of be more available to their patients, which has uh, been our goal. Yeah,
0: very, very interesting. Let, let me ask one final question here, Michael. What does the future hold for the sort of underserved populations that you cater to and sort of broadly has COVID exposed opportunities for field and for other fintechs, you know, serving these groups to further improve the lives of of vulnerable populations?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It has. Uh, And also the urgency of doing so has never been more clear on top of it. What it seems like broadly is that we as investors are needing to make more directional investments. We need to understand not just if a if a stock market will be up or down, but who will be the winners and losers in this new market. I think investors looking for that insight, uh, they will naturally turn to those essential critical services like community-based healthcare as the kinds of place where there is a tremendous opportunity to improve, create value, uh, participate in that value chain. And what we've learned is that the the COVID pandemic has exposed risks embedded throughout the health system and throughout the economies uh, that we're working in more broadly. And the ability for uh, entrepreneurs to see those risks and think creatively about how we rebalance them within the system, how we can remove the, the risk and complexity of running such a business like a community pharmacy. How can you take that risk off, put it onto a a system or a solution purpose-built to manage it and to optimize it and and do so in a way that creates value uh, and, and in a sense, rebalance the the risks that are shared. I think that this response has uh, surfaced those risks in a very clear and alarming way. And so I think it provides lots of new problems for entrepreneurs to begin thinking about solving.
0: Couldn't agree more, Michael. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Uh, really, really uh, interesting. Um, uh, and thank you all for listening. Next week we have Jerry uh, Namorin from Len Street joining us. Please do um, join us next week. Uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you again, Michael. Thanks, guys.